0: Welcome to TIFF Talk, sponsored by Endogastric Solutions, a podcast that interviews physicians and real-life patients about the most common gastrointestinal disorder, GERD, commonly known as chronic acid reflux. Listen to patients and physicians interact, break down the disease from different perspectives, and learn how taking the next step in your treatment can change your life. For our audio listeners, you can see visuals on our YouTube channel, at GERD Help. The TIF procedure may or may not be appropriate for your health condition. Only your doctor can explain the benefits and risks of all treatment options. Results may vary. Visit GERDhelp.com for more clinical data. The TIF procedure for reflux was developed by Endogastric Solutions Incorporated. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our TIFF Talk Tuesday. I'm Andrea Millers, the Senior Director of Marketing at Endogastric Solutions. And today I have Karen Girth here with me, a Market Development Manager as well. Say hi, Karen. <laughs> hi, Mom. And we do have a special guest today. We have a Dr. Jordan Marble here. Thank you, Dr. Marble, for being with us today. Um, and Thank you. So just to give you a, uh, Dr. Uh, Marble received his medical degree from University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson and is in, has been in practice for over 10 years. Uh, he is highly trained to do the TIF procedure for reflux at Mount Graham Regional Medical Center in Arizona, Safford in Arizona, is that correct? That's correct. Fantastic. Well, welcome and thank you for joining us tonight. Um, I do wanna remind everyone that's watching, if you have any questions at any time, please feel free to type it into the chat section and we will do our best to answer all of your questions. So today we usually start off by kind of answering the question, what is GERD? So can you please explain, uh, Dr. Marble, what is GERD? GERD
1: is... uh... I mean, defined as gastroesophageal reflux disease, it, it is usually a um, a agglomerate of symptoms caused by uh, acid reflux uh, that is exposed into the esophagus. Basically, right where the connection from the stomach to the lower part of the esophagus, generally symptoms occur right in that area. That patients can experience for months to years. Usually, it's usually it's their lifetime and and it comes about because of uh, basic changes within their body or body habitus or sometimes a hiatal hernia can occur and decrease the efficacy of the, the acid staying down into the stomach and into the esophagus.
0: Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the t- different types of symptoms a patient would potentially feel if they were suffering from GERD?
1: Yeah, uh, so generally most patients will Um, experience a they call it reflux or symptoms of heartburn typically happens right in the mid-epigastric area right in the middle of the chest so this also another symptom is chest pain frequently there'll be patients that go to the emergency department thinking they're having a heart attack but the majority of time they are just experiencing this reflux disease reflux symptom other symptoms that can occur are uh, maybe chronic cough Mm -hmm. problems Swallowing, maybe food getting stuck after swallowing, after swallowing, and food getting stuck stuck in the middle of their chest. Um, discomfort as well in the same area. Um, less frequently, people may uh, experience symptoms of as asthma, asthma or coughing or choking symptoms, especially in the evening or after eating late at night, going to bed. Uh, they can experience this uh, while laying down as
0: well. Right, thank you. What do you uh, normally recommend patients to do if they are suffering from acid reflux or chronic GERD, if you will?
1: Yes. So, you know, the initial um, evaluation should always uh, talk to your primary care physician about these symptoms. Uh, they may prescribe you a medication. Usually, they'll also educate you on. Uh, things that you can do better, like change uh, certain habits. So if you eat late at night, don't eat late at night, because often if you eat late at night and you lay down, that's when your stomach is full, and that's when acid can uh, go up into your esophagus and be exposed there. Um, but that's probably the first thing you should do is talk to your primary care physician.
0: Fantastic, thank you. What types of lifestyle modifications, generally, you know, would you recommend? I know you. Said you know, don't eat late at night. Are there different foods or food aversions or things that actually trigger uh, acid reflux?
1: Yeah. So generally, caffeine's a huge one. Uh, lots of caffeine throughout the day can increase uh, reflux symptoms, as well as chocolate. Avoid chocolate. So spicy food, uh, tomato-based uh, food as well, like spaghetti and lasagna, all the stuff that we love, <laughs> yeah. should avoid that. Maybe. Uh, either eat it earlier in the day or avoid them altogether.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. And what options are available today? You know, you did talk a little bit about medications. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the different options uh, for treating GERD today?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, um, besides the lifestyle changes, diet modification, next would be. Uh, medication-based, so PPIs, proton pump inhibitors, like uh, uh, Protonix, which is pantoprazole or Meprazole. There's H2 blockers as well, such as ranitidine. Um, And then from there, uh, generally, we have to kind of define, all right, why are you having reflux? Because once medications either aren't useful enough, or if you don't want to take medications for the rest of your life with their Bad side effects. And we discuss performing procedures, anti-reflex procedure surgery to uh, fix the problem.
0: Sure. Can you talk a little bit about the diagnostic workup uh, to determine A, if a patient truly does have GERD, and then B, you know, are they even a candidate to potentially have a uh reflux procedure?
1: Yes. So one of the first diagnostic tools that we use is uh, endoscopy or an EGD, uh, usually what we call it, where a camera will go down uh, into the esophagus and into the stomach, and evaluates the uh, integrity of the hiatus, meaning is there a hiatal hernia that's present? Is the uh, so-called valve that we we uh, say at the G junction is it intact? Is the height and circumference of that valve? of uh, um, robust enough, so to speak, to uh, get that acid down into the stomach. Um, that's the initial evaluation. Next, uh, generally, we'll get a barium esophagram, which demonstrates the contractility of the esophagus and how well it uh, takes food down to, into your stomach. Um, generally, this will uh, also uh, show any dysmotility issues of the esophagus and things that we might need to. Think about while think uh, uh, the evap- during the evaluation. Next uh, would be we do routinely esophageal manometry, which then uh, specifically tests the contractility of the esophagus to make sure we're not dealing with any underlying dysmotility issues that um, would alter the way we plan surgery.
0: Um, right. All right, fantastic. Uh, I do see quite a few questions popping up on Facebook, so I'm going to pass it over to Karen to get through some of those questions. Karen, take it away.
2: Thank you, Andrea, and welcome uh, Dr. Marble. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, we've got a few questions. Uh, we've got Christian is asking, is there a reason why PPIs don't help much uh, as much as they have in the past? I think he's been on PPIs and they're not really working anymore. Is there a reason for that or?
1: Yeah, so sometimes I, what I say is everybody's different. So, one PPI will work for someone and it might not work for someone else. Also, I feel I've seen that PPIs lose their efficacy uh, the longer they're used and the same type. So, so, if there is someone who doesn't want unreal surgery uh, but still you know, wants to control their reflux, I switch their medication over to something else. So I go from a Imeprazole to Pentoprazole. There's also newer agents too that are always developed that can also control that reflux disease. Um, and so you just really got to find the right thing uh, to work. Now, using a combination of a PPI such as a Imeprazole with an H2 blocker is, is usually pretty effective at treating reflux disease. So that's that's a possibility. It's something he sh- should talk to his primary care physician about what do you mean?
2: Thank you. Could you expand on the H two blocker? There might be some people watching tonight that are not familiar with um, with H two blockers and what exactly they are.
1: Yeah. So H two blockers block. Um, I mean, it's called the receptor H two, and that is also uh, it's a different mechanism than um, blocking the. the Pento, um, than a proton pump inhibitor, so uh, it blocks the, um, uh, so to speak, the uh, the triggers or the uh, neuro uh, signal that allows for uh, acid to be pr- uh, produced by the stomachs, the cells some of the cells in the stomach, and so it's it's a different mechanism altogether, but it still has the same efficacy. Oh,
2: thank you so much for explaining that. Um, we have a question also from Philip, and he asked, uh, how soon are you able to see new patients for reflux and what are the steps needed to get a tip? I think we kind of touched on some diagnostic testing, but I, I think he's just wanting to expand on that a bit.
1: Yes, so the, 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 generally we see people refer to us from their primary care physician. So if uh, once that's in place, when we have the referral, we can usually see people within anywhere from one to three weeks, depending on, um, you know, how busy we are and everything. But generally, we get people within three weeks. And if it is more urgent then we, uh, Dr. Carter, and myself, usually, um, uh, we'll get them in sooner. Um, and um then we, from that point, we do all the evaluation. Sometimes it takes just a few weeks, and sometimes it can take a few months, depending on the patient and how things are moving along. We also need to perform, uh, make sure that they're medically able to undergo some sort of uh, procedure like that. So their heart's okay, lungs are okay, and everything. Um, and then the TIFF, do we want to talk about that right now?
0: Sure, that was perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> what is the TIF procedure, Dr. Marble? <laughs>
1: um, so the, the TIF procedure uh, is short for transoral incisionless fundoplication. Um, decades ago, uh, there was developed an anti-reflux surgery that is kind of the mainstay therapy, you know, still across the nation. However, with due to its side effects of gas bloated dysphagia. Um, and um, uh, recurrence, it's called a It's called a hiatal hernia repair with a nissen fundoplication. Nissen, that means we take part of the stomach, top part of the stomach and we wrap around the esophagus and create sort of a, uh, you know, like a hot dog in a bun effect. And that, that kind of helps put pressure on the esophagus to keep acid down. The, the problem with that is then people, uh, the worst uh, symptom of that is gas bloat where they're not able to, they, they swallow air, but they're not able to regurgitate it back out or burp it out. Um, they can no longer throw up, and so gas builds up, and it's very uncomfortable for the patient. I've seen several people with this symptom, and the... Um, so, the, the transoral incisional fund application is still doing a fund application, meaning we're still uh, recreating, we're creating a valve, so to speak, or a, uh, a fund application, a built-up area where the acid can now still be blocked without creating the effects of gas blow and, uh, you know, unable to throw it. So, I've, I have not had a patient yet not uh, that cannot burp. You know, usually, they can burp. Some say they can't throw up really, uh, but most of them say they can still burp because so they don't get the gas flow. Uh, as well as they say the acid's gone, they are no longer any medications. Um, and so it recreates that fun application. I don't know if there's any visuals you, we have that can we show do. it's kind of hard to
0: yeah explain it without we do we we just don't have it queued up today but we oh. we can definitely um post it on uh the animation so karen maybe you can pop up the animation or christian our producer that's watching today can can pop that up on on the um on the side over here but yeah can you explain what what is the reason why um the Nissen inverse you know there's there are side effects with the Nissen versus the TIF procedure? Cause you were mentioning, you know, you're doing similar things, but uh, you have less side effects obviously with the TIF procedure. And I guess the question we always get is why? Or why do you think that happens?
1: <laughs> so the, the main reason why I think that happens is because we're, it's not as, as a aggressive of a front application. So we're not taking the whole stomach and securing it around the esophagus. Um, That makes for a, uh, in a way, a a tighter um, application or tighter wrap around it. It also can cause symptoms of gastroparesis or anytime we mess with the stomach, we can alter the way it contracts and pushes food down. And so with manipulating the stomach a lot like that, it can also lead to those same side effects. The tip doesn't do that as much. The tip isn't taking the whole stomach and wrapping it around there. It is basically leaving the stomach kind of where it is um, and using um, little fasteners, so little plastic fasteners that uh, we do about 270 degrees. Uh, if you imagine, uh, you know, the, uh, the tube coming down, and about 270 degrees, about three quarters of it, we're taking it. We're building up tissue. All around it but we're using uh where the stomach is uh located in its native form so to speak so we're not we're not manipulating as much
0: fantastic uh, yeah thank you uh, and uh christian our producer just popped up the animation so if you're curious you can press play and watch the animation that dr marvel just explained now can you talk a little bit about the before and or pre kind of prep and then post-op what to expect kind of after you have the TIFF procedure, but before I just thought of something. Before you do that, uh, we didn't really get into much about the hiatal hernia, and maybe you can explain how that contributes to what you have to do if you do have to repair that.
1: Yes. So during endoscopy as well as manometry and, and the barren swallow, we can always identify hiatal hernia. Sometimes there, there's um, four different forms of hiatal hernias, and. Not going to go into that. Um, Generally, they don't always have to be repaired, but there are certain types that do need to be repaired, not just because of reflux alone. Performing a hiatal hernia repair uh, is uh, so a hiatal hernia is a defect within the hiatus, or let's say the diaphragm. And as your esophagus comes down through the diaphragm, um, there are two muscles, the crura. Uh, that uh, surround each side now usually those are kind of tight next to each other and the esophagus goes up, down between them nicely uh, the hiatal hernia is is a enlarged hole or enlargement of that um, area where the esophagus goes through and that creates a, a problem because now the stomach can actually slide up into your chest um, effectively decreasing the um, uh, the additional effect that the crur or the diaphragm has to help keep reflux down. So, a, a, a lot of people with hiatal hernias have reflux, uh, a lot. Um, now, to fix that uh, hiatal hernia, uh, we do that laparoscopically, typically through five incisions, all up in the upper part of the abdomen. Uh, we take the stomach and uh, the esophagus, pull it down, dissect circumferentially around that, take the hernia sac out, um, and then make sure that the stomach sits relaxed and freely inside the abdomen uh, without any tension, because tension would effectively pull that back up. Um, uh, uh, We do use absorbable mesh, so it's a mesh that stays about two or three months and it dissolves on its own. It's not one of the permanent ones that have A lot of the negative effects of erosion into the esophagus or other organs. So, um, but including in in the uh, in the hiatal repair, we do close the defect with suture and bring it closer together, and that is usually done uh, depending on how large it is. That that it'll change depending on how many sutures we use and and everything in the mesh.
0: So, thank you. I appreciate that and. Uh, do you want to let the audience know, so when you repair the hiatal hernia, do you also do the TIF procedure concomitantly or combined, if you will?
1: Oh, yes, yes we do. So after af- after completing the hiatal hernia repair, we close everything up and then the, the TIF procedure is done through uh, an endoscope and we first put the endoscope down into your stomach, we take a look, we make sure that there is no evidence of uh, herniation, reherniation, or whatever through uh, the hiatus that we just prepared. Um, hopefully not, otherwise we're not doing a good job. <laughs> we also measure how long the esophagus is to help for our TIF uh, um, planning. From there, we will take that out and we'll, we will marry it and call it or put the endoscope into the TIF device and then put that back down into your stomach and perform the TIF procedure itself. In
0: one, in one procedure. Perfect. Yes, and that, yeah. Thank you. Can you talk about now about uh, what they can expect kind of day of and then after a lot of people hear about, you know, the diet. and. How do they? How can they eat afterwards, um, and for how long? And and then also, you know, getting back to normal life, what does that look like for someone, or or any of your patients that you've had this procedure done?
1: Yeah. So generally, you know, they love it. Of course, the diet. They, uh, you know, they (laughs) so excited (laughs) about the uh, weight loss that they're gonna have. I'm just kidding. So (laughs) the uh, on the day of surgery, we don't have to eat or drink anything. Um, That's when something expects. uh, depending on your health and overall um, uh, uh, comorbidities that you have and some other medical tests the day of or a couple days before the surgery to make sure everything looks okay. Um, After the surgery, once it's done, you uh, get admitted to the hospital. We will perform a post-TIF or post-hide hernia TIF. uh, esophagram, And so what we're looking for that we want to make sure that the contrast passes smoothly. There's no leak uh, of the esophagus and I don't think this is routinely done. But this is something that Dr. Carter and I feel pretty strongly about. We want to make sure that everything looks good before we proceed with uh, uh, the diet. After that, there is a special diet six to eight weeks long of uh, mainly liquids and then soft foods eventually. So usually I think it's the first three, even four weeks are on mainly a liquid diet. And in the first week or two, those are cold liquids. So, and um, from then you advance into more uh, softer, food, like cottage cheese. You can then get into some mashed potatoes. Um, and uh, about the six, about week six, then we uh, can usually get you onto your uh, like a GI soft diet and be okay. The Often what I'll tell patients after the procedure is that your, your swallowing may be affected, um, actually will be affected, um, but it may be affected for long term. If You think about it, we've just taken where this thing was wide open, your valve was wide open and just kind of going in, where all of a sudden we've kind of tightened up a bit and that tightening up can change the way food goes down into your esophagus. And so it's gonna feel different than what you've ever experienced before and you have to get used to maybe having uh, smaller when you swallow, smaller bites, stuff like that. Things that we should actually be doing, but we don't in our, in our <laughs> um, and generally you tell people they will expect to lose up to about 10 to 15 percent of their weight uh, during this period of time. So.
0: Yeah, I heard one physician say, Uh, Make sure every bite gets to touch every piece of your tooth when you're chewing to eat. I was like, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) I guess he was trying to say to chew chew your food all the way and then eat slowly. So, yeah, just changing the way that you eat, which we all should probably do. Uh, I did see a couple more uh, questions pop up, so I'm going to pass it again over to you, Karen. Great.
2: Uh, We do have a few questions. one question, do all surgeons use mesh to fix a hiatal hernia or can you fix it without using mesh?
1: So great question because mesh does get a bad rep. Now in this area, yes, I would agree mesh is not good. Now I, I do use mesh but it absorbs in about two to three months. So there's absorbable mesh, biological mesh we call it or non-absorbable and that's permanent. That's made out of some sort of plastic uh, sheet. Uh, so to speak, some there's different materials, tons of different materials out there. Um, it's important in this area to use an absorbable mesh. Um, or or no mesh. Um, uh, in 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 training to there were a couple, there were probably one or two surgeons that didn't all the majority of the other ones did. They all used some sort of absorbable mesh. Um, I feel very strongly that no permanent mesh should go in this area because if you think about it, the esophagus is an organ that is moving all the time. Your stomach is kind of moving. It's a muscle and the muscle is exposed to the outside constant movement. So, any type of permanent, meaning thing, something that's going to last longer than three or four months in there, might rub on there and eventually erode into the esophagus and cause pretty major problems. So, um, I think only an absorbable mesh or no mesh. Um, the Reason we use an absorbable mesh is that it gives it extra time for the for reinforcement of the hernia repair. Um, if you imagine this is muscle we're sewing together, it's not like a tough uh, it's not a tough fascia, so to speak, of the abdominal wall. This is muscle, muscle fibers, and they can tear, and especially in this area, that's why there's a there's a higher recurrence rate of fixing a hiatal hernia than, than most of the other hernias that we fix in the body. It's just because it's not, it's just the muscle. It's not the best tissue that we can use. But it's the best we can we got, of course. So,
2: Thank you for that. Um, and that kind of goes into our, our next question. Um, how soon after the TIFF procedure can I resume exercising?
1: Oh, excellent question. <laughs>
2: you
1: did your exercising, that's great. Uh, six weeks. So, not, no heavy lifting over 15 to 20 pounds for six weeks. Uh, you can walk, you can start vigorously walking, you can be active to a point that nothing that will put stress or strain intra-abdominally or on the abdominal wall muscles. Um, and that is what happens is anytime you lift something heavy, you your muscles contract and that increases the pressure inside your belly. And if you can imagine that All your belly stuff is going to kind of push out, including your stomach is going to push on that hiatal hernia repair or the tiff, and that might tear it. And so in order to get the best results, we have found that waiting six weeks uh, before any type of vigorous vigorous exercise um, is best.
2: Excellent. And I have another question, Um, if I don't treat my acid reflux effectively, what can happen long term?
1: Oh, good question. (laughs) Because <laughs> um, this is, you know, there's. I've seen, you know, I've seen a handful of people now in the last um, couple years that uh, have developed uh, cancer. So, esophageal cancer. Now, esophageal cancer is not um, that common in in our in our society, uh, but it used to be that alcohol and, and smoking were some of the leading causes of esophageal cancer. Well, now it's actually turned out, now it's more common for we think that acid reflux has been uh, more more common cause of it. Is, it. is it still common? No, it's not very common. So that's probably the worst outcome that can come from having untreated acid reflux. Generally what'll happen is when the acid is constantly exposed to the lower part of the esophagus where the connection between the stomach and the esophagus is, uh, it will start to make changes of the cells, and that's, those changes are called uh, metaplasia. Another name for that is also develops into something called Barrett's esophagus. Okay, now, Barrett's is kind of the first uh, thing that we, the first identification that there's chronic reflux or, or um, uh, acid exposure to that area. After that, Barrett's, it, can, it starts to develop into low-grade dysplasia, then high-grade dysplasia, and then cancer. Um, not everyone, you know, transitions all the way to cancer, like I said, not everybody even goes to dysplasia, but it can happen. And so once we start to see Barrett's, then we have to do routine biopsies every six months to a year to make sure we're not getting those dysplastic changes. And those are brought about because of the acid. So it's wholesome.
2: That kind of leads to my last question. Um, if I have Barrett's esophagus, can I get the TIF procedure?
1: Uh, yes, you can. You will still need the surveillance EGD. However, this can also uh, uh, prevent the acid reflux. And by preventing the acid exposure, that will decrease the chance that likely that Barrett's is going to progress from Barrett's to dysplasia. So yes, you can.
2: That's all I
0: have, back to you, Andrea. Thank you very much, Karen. Well, Dr. Marble, thank you again uh, for joining us tonight uh, for our TIFF talk. But before we conclude, I do want, I always kind of end this way asking our guest speaker, you know, if you had one or, or words of advice or one thing that you would tell, or if it was your mom or your family member or your child, uh, what would you recommend to them if they were suffering from chronic GERD? Yeah.
1: I I would recommend them to get evaluated. Figure out the cause, check it out. Um, there's treatment options out there. Um, you don't have to take a PPI the rest of your life. You can at least know the options. Now if you choose that, you don't want to go sur- I know you don't want to go surgery, so to speak, the TIF or whatever then. That's your choice, but at least get evaluated and see what it's, what it's going to be like. The nice thing about the TIF is that if it's, there's no hiatal hernia component with it and it's just reflux, then performing just the TIF alone is not as invasive as, as an anti reflux surgery like the Nissen repair that uh, I described earlier. So um, get evaluated, uh, figure out what's going on and have more information that can help take care of your health for the future.
0: I love that. Get evaluated. Uh, that's the best thing you can say right there. <laughs> um, well, again, we can't thank you enough for joining us this evening. Uh, and for those of you who are in the where are we are, we, southeastern Arizona area, Safford it, it was Safford area, uh, you can find Dr. Marble or Dr. His partner, Dr. Carter. And if you're not, you can go to girdhelp.com. We do have a website uh, that has a physician locator and you can put in your state or zip code and you can find a physician that's you. Uh, so again, thank you, Dr. Marble for being here tonight. Thank you everybody that joined us this evening and you can catch us next week, every Tuesday for our TIFF Talks. Until then, have a great evening. Bye. If you are suffering from chronic acid reflux and want more information, please visit GERDhelp.com or download our GERD Help mobile app. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Tiff Talk. Leave your questions and comments on our social media at GERD help. Live well, GERD free.